Hello and welcome to the Sandro Forte podcast. Over the many years I've been running a successful business, I've met directly or indirectly many successful people from entrepreneurs, sports stars, celebrities, and dare I say, even royalty. So what makes someone successful? Do we even know what success is? And the all important question, can we create it for ourselves? This podcast series invites a diverse group of people to share their insights, their wisdom, and the things they've learned along the way. Sam Allardyce is one of the biggest names in football. He's a former player and a respected manager, most recently with Everton Football Club in the Premier League last season. His longest playing spell was with Bolton Wanderers, who he went on to manage with great success for eight years from 1999, taking Bolton into the Premier League in 2001. In 2016, following managerial posts at Newcastle, Blackburn, West Ham and Sunderland, Sam was offered his dream job as manager of the English national team. Unfortunately, as we know, his tenure was cut short following an undercover Daily Telegraph report which made various allegations about Sam's integrity and conduct. A legal claim for substantial damages is being considered. Despite this, Sam remains upbeat and, of course, one of the most respected and popular men in the game. So it gives me enormous pleasure to welcome today's very special guest, somebody I've personally admired in football for a very long time, Sam Allardyce. Welcome, Sam. Welcome. And thank you for also welcoming us into your home as well. It's very kind of you. Um, I want to start, if I may, Sam, with who you are as a person, because in sport, I think it's fair to say we don't really get to know the real people, particularly in football, um, just because of its profile. So if you don't mind, tell us a little bit about Sam Allardyce, the man, your background, your upbringing, where it all started. Well, I suppose that uh, the, the upbringing was um, pretty strict. I think that, um, it, and and I think if, if you look back on it now and you you or I would mention to people what happened in my upbringing, they would, they would be cringing, you know, you know, I mean, a pretty good thrashing from your old man was sort of commonplace if you stepped out of line, you know, and I think that, uh, um, the discipline was what he was all about and never seen very much. Um, my mum was the exact opposite. She was, uh, the one that, you know, was uh, always there and, you know, always supporting you. And um, I was a bit of a mummy's boy, a bit of a favourite because I was last last of the the children that my mum had. Like, I've got a sister and a, and a brother. And um, so I think that uh, my dad was a policeman and uh, that, that was, in itself was um, in our area, which was a council estate in Dudley, um, was uh, very important for everybody in that community because he was the man. He was he was the sergeant. Mm. Um, anybody had any problems on or off duty, there used to be several knocks at the door and, and he would help them or sort them out. Um, but coming along with that was, you know, a discipline that, that you weren't to, to get into any trouble um, either outside of school or in school. Mm. Otherwise there were some consequences, you know. So, uh so I think that upbringing uh, stood me in good stead. Uh, I think that that was uh, a discipline of, that I was aware of that I took with me and 
uh, into my own personal career and then again into particularly into management about how important discipline is and uh, and values and uh, those those values have stayed with me for for many many years uh, it wasn't an unpleasant I didn't want anybody to think or say that I that was an unpleasant upbringing it wasn't it was extremely good mm. um, and looking at today's children I feel very sorry for them that they are not able to do what I did. In other words, play out till it went dark and then you'd come in, you know, and summer holidays would only come back when we were hungry and we'd, you know, we'd go and explore all sorts of things and places, you know, around our local area, um, walk to the baths, you know, do do some swimming, go walk to the park, play on the field, play cricket, play football, play play tennis, go to the youth club, do whatever we could do. Um, I'm not really worried too much about whether we were going to get kidnapped or mm. or abused or whatever it might be. So that's not the case now. So it's, you know, it's particularly difficult for a young child to have those experiences because people are, and parents are obviously are pretty scared about letting the youngsters play out on the street now and... Um, you know, I find that quite quite a bit of a shame, but you know that was a great a great learning curve and a great upbringing for me. Um, moving into my one and only dream, which was to play professional football. So, uh, discipline's a really important Absolutely. part of life today, and you've already alluded to that. So, how in football in particular, Sam? How has discipline changed? Because I, I remember sport in the eighties, football in the eighties, and I'd hear managers like Sir Alex Ferguson yeah. talking about how players would would clean out the changing rooms. Now they live in much more of a bubble, don't they? Is, is discipline changed much in, in football oh, over the years? Massively. I think that uh, the discipline continued for me when I left home at 15, which was a pretty difficult thing to do. Um, and not have a very nice place to, to stay in. The woman that looked after me was, was pretty old on her own in a little terrace, but, you know, that wasn't, that wasn't very nice. She tried her best. I'm not not saying she didn't, but it, 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 I didn't really want to go back there. So I would stay at the club as long as I possibly could anyway. But we had to do the dressing rooms. Uh, we had to do the uh, the training ground. We had to roll the pitch. We had to cut the grass. Um, we had to sweep the terraces. We had to sweep the car park. We had to wash the manager's car. We had to put the kit out, put it back in before we could go home after we trained, you know, and, and that in itself was a, we had to change in the away team dressing room. We had to knock and and be invited into the home team dressing room. You know, and that particular discipline, it, it, I think, has been lost and I think should still be there in some ways, you know, but as we get softer and softer and as time moves on, not, not even the apprentices, you know, or the academy players, as they're called now, are actually responsible for even their own gear. And I find that really sad that we cannot implement into a football club that when a youngster comes in that he's at least responsible for bringing his own gear from the from the kit man, mm-hmm. looking after his own boots, packing his own gear away, cleaning up their own dressing room before they go back, you know, Personally, it should be go farther than that, at least in the first team dressing room. I, I wouldn't say sweeping the terraces or washing the manager's cars appropriate anymore, yes, but we have to move on. But but that gives you a, a desire 
and a goal to get away from that because none of us like doing it. Mm. So it gives you an, a drive to say that, you know, the quicker I prove myself as a professional, the quicker I can get up into the first team dressing room, the quicker I can stop doing these jobs and move my career forward as quickly as I possibly can. Does that does that make management today more difficult then? Because, you, you know, now it seems that players are almost bigger than the club uh, or bigger or more powerful than the manager. Does it make that job more difficult? Oh, yes, I think it may, and, and I mean, I think that... Uh, the level of expenditure that we're spending now uh, has made the player more powerful because the size of the transfer fee, the size of the contract means that we really need that player to be so successful that that if he's not, you carry the the burden for that. You carry the can if you like, and the, and the player and particularly his agent would know that. Um, so you have to be more understanding and you have to communicate in a different level to my upbringing, which was basically you're told what to do and that's it. Get on with it. The manager, the coach would tell you, this is the way it is. This is how you do it. This is, this is what you do. This is how you're going to develop and now get on with it. Now this is what we're going to do. And I think in a different way, you, you have to have a, a more community communicating relationship, the player, and understand his, his, his psyche, understand what makes him tick. So that takes us beyond just being a coach or a manager. That takes us into the, into the mind, into the psychology of the mind. And I think that's really where I made great strides with, particularly with my staff and qualified people in that area that helped me understand more so I could approach a player in a much better way to, to have a, have a, or draw more out of him and have a bigger responsibility for his, his own performance by the fact that we've given him this information in the right manner mm. for him to make himself better and become a more disciplined and focused person. And not, you can have your differences, but a real top professional is a real top professional who doesn't really cause you that many problems mm. unless he's not happy with your standards unless he, you haven't turned to his respect. Yeah. So that is your ultimate goal, that you you have a top player, the, be, the bigger the player, the better it is for you. Uh, people say it must be harder to harder to, to uh, get the best out of them or handle them or deal with them. Personally, I don't think so, because I think that when you have a, when you're signing that player, your responsibility is to to sit down with him and say, do I like you? Do you like me? We know you're a good footballer. I know I'm a pretty good manager. Yeah, but will we gel? Will we those so those early days, those days when we're gonna make a decision of somebody costing 40, 50 million pounds on contracts worth millions and millions of pounds, without that conversation. It, it, you know, you could make a mistake because your personalities could tr clash. Uh, he might not see the, the the same way forward as you. You then have to convince him. He, he might, he, so he might not prove to be the sort of player that you want because your relationship is not not getting the best out of him. Mm. And and that is a particular way forward that I think that as a as a young manager, if you're coming through the game, you must take and pay great attention. So you've got all this. 
recruitment process that's all these stats that have been through and profiling psychologically, which is what we do now, which gives you an insight into the player. And and you've watched him with your scouts and what but you have to have that conversation with the player to look each other in the eye and get the agent out of it. Because mm. the agent's only responsible for the financial terms of the contract. The responsibility about our relationship is is going to be very important for me to extract the best out of him. And if I I get that right, then I can become a very su- su- successful manager. If I get that wrong too many times, particularly if it's the top signing, you're sacked. Yeah. It's that simple now. And 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 those details have to be done as efficiently as possible. And sometimes there's not a lot of time mm. because if it's a January transfer window, you sometimes take a chance yeah. because you need to. But most of the time you need to go through that long process of making sure this player is what he, you think he is and is going to deliver. Not just technically and tactically, but mentally able to cope with what happens at that particular football club. What If he's not playing the Premiership for, will he cope with it? in the Premier League with delivering those abilities. And that and that has always been the way forward for me, which leads me to one story where one player was sat opposite me with his wife. And while I was asking him questions, his wife kept answering. So I didn't sign him. I said, I, wanted, I was signing his wife. I wasn't signing the player. Mm. So that was extremely disappointing for... The club as a whole, I remember the chairman ringing me up at the time saying, what the hell are you doing? It's all done. Everything's okay. You've wanted this player for ages. I said, no, no. I said, I, I, I'm signing his wife. You know, I, I don't I don't want to sign his wife. I want to sign him. He can't answer a question himself. She keeps answering the question for him. And he keeps letting her. Mm. So weak character for me. So when he's on the field of play and having to deliver under those pressures, will he be able to, in my opinion, I didn't think he would. So many yeah. people were disappointed. Even, well, I was obviously bitterly disappointed because mm. it was at this final stage. So those, I don't think people actually see or, or understand the in-depth or the depths that we go to to sign the players that we need to sign because because of the worldwide trade that we have now with players and the different cultures and levels that they, they, they come from. Um, it, it's very important that you do the background. Mm. So what you're saying, Sam, is that everything you've just said so well actually is it's very much about the, the those good old-fashioned beliefs very much about the person because mm. you can't teach characteristics of somebody in terms of their their application and their attitude towards certain things um and I, I think that's something that the average fan doesn't see you know you make lots of tough calls every day yes sometimes you have to make a, a decision that doesn't necessarily um isn't going to be popular with the fans or, or the upper management but it, it's about um Building those relationships with players. Yes, there's no, there's, there's, they're the most, one of the most important things to you, your being successful in, in your career. There are other factors, of course, but you're dealing with the players on a regular basis. You're actually dealing with the players and seeing the players more than you see your own family. And uh, throughout the, the management um, career in football, and, uh, and your members of staff, have as just a big as responsibility as you because the players want to be led by you and your staff in the right direction in all areas of what they need to achieve. Mm. 
So you, we break that down um, into department sections and we deliver to those players the times when when they can and when they can't do these specific areas they need to to improve both physically and mentally, tacti tactically and technically. And we don't have a lot of time because there's games coming after games. Yeah. And then there's, you know, physio, sports scientists talk about fatigue, mental fatigue, physical fatigue, recovery. So you, 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 trying to get it and fit it all in is a very difficult job. And you have to lead the staff the right way into sectioning those yeah. critical times for everybody to think. And then we ask the player to take responsibility. So we, we ask the player to, to, can you take responsibility for some of your own stuff on what we've delivered and not really have a member of staff being with you constantly, that you have a responsibility to yourself that we give mm -hmm. you the information. So for instance, say, it's his day off. You know what I mean? He, he isn't particularly fatigued, but so he can go to his own local gym. He has his own program. He can flip it up on his iPad or his phone, he can do that little bit of extra program at his own gym. Mm. Meet up with his, have his own sports psychologist. He finds the right one as long as he the psychologist links with him. So it's it's saying don't just come here and and sit and ask us to keep doing it all for you. Have some responsibility for yourself to do something for yourself. And we see many many examples of Ronaldo and how many times he trains on his own. You've heard Eric Cantona talk about. Uh, so the Alex Ferguson talk about Eric Cantona, about where he changed the club because he stayed for another hour after the, everybody finished training and then everybody else had joined in. David Beckham, you know, would be in the gym at the Cliff Training Ground at Manchester United in the evening, bending balls, you know, mm. over the mannequins. And so it's that, that sort of responsibility a player, particularly in the younger a time, particularly between sort of the ages of or probably if he comes to a professional at 18, from 18 to say 24, 25, and then just top it up and keep it topped up then because he's put in his long-term memory by that time and then he just has to recall on it by practising the right way. Mm. So that responsibility, because the rewards are so great, so the dedication has to be so high yeah. and that dedication is about not just looking after yourself while you're at the club, but looking after yourself when you're away from the club. I want to just go back one step, if I may, because you've said a couple of things there that I'd just like to touch on. You've you've been unfairly labelled, in my opinion, mm. the long ball long manager. Ball, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but you actually, Sam, were a real pioneer, weren't you, in football? You, your career goes back a long <coughs> way. But, you know, you were the first, one of the first to talk about statistical analysis yes. and uh, tech, bringing in technology. You've touched on a few of those examples uh, money ball thinking. Yes. A lot of that was started by you, wasn't it? In this country, I think, yes. I think we got, we, we, we were um, thinking outside the box because of our desire, our, the staff's desire, the staff that we had at that time. And, and, and uh, I interviewed and was particularly lucky to, to find that staff. Cause I'd have to say in the younger days, I knew, I knew how to conduct an interview, um, but I was going on instinct and gut feeling, which is still very important to me, don't get me wrong, with other information. But I acquired a 
a lot of staff that ticked the right boxes and started thinking out the box like I did. And then that became a challenge for us all on how far we could go. How far can we take this? So you as the, as, as the, as the manager or, or the leader would give responsibility to heads of department and say to heads of department, how, can you, how creative can you be? What can we try and what can't we try and what, what can we find and what can't we find that will help us give us a, a little bit more of an edge? Because that was way back in Bolt Mondras going into the Premier League. And I think that um, that when, when we were living with debt, which is what we were, mm. um, because of the previous regime, that we had to manage our pennies very, very carefully. And how, how could we get the best value for what we had available to spend? And, and that was about our staff giving the players more information, giving them more ways forward, which would be difficult for them to accept. Like, say, you know, let's take simple things, coffee and tea out of the equation. I mean, uh, pre-match meals, you know, which would maybe somebody eating steak and stuff, you know, were going away. I mean, I mean, it, it moved, started to move on so quick. Uh, Rehydration fluids, where we we would encourage the company to give it us free, and we would promote it for them because mm. it wasn't in our budget. So we'd find we we had to find a way. So you know we we were doing all this testing, if you like, and the members of staff got pretty inspired that they had it in all departments: the coaches, assistant manager, the physio, sports science, the masseurs the data analysis lads, the prozone lads, the, you know, all, everybody, everybody started getting, getting really into it. And we started to research other sports. And I think that that's where the, we gave the, the players that came to Bolton Wanderers a new lease of life, if you like, because what we were signing was people from clubs where they didn't want that player, even as talented as Yuri Yorkaev. Kaiserslautern didn't want him anymore. Mm. You know I mean, JJ Okocha was on the free. You know what I mean? Uh, you know, Nicholas Anelka wanted to get away from from uh, from Turkey because he didn't like it. You know what I mean? Fernando Yero was left at Iron Dry at, from Madrid after winning the we went to Qatar, didn't like it, came back for a year. Ivan Campo won the, the double with Madrid, was cast off and and then they, so we got all these cast-offs, if you like, that, that we were just giving our information to and they were responding to that. So we were getting really excited about it. We've got players who won World Cups. We've got players who've, you know, won European Championship. We've got players who won Champions League. So then we took, reverted to them and asked them what their opinion of what we were doing was like and what, what could they introduced to us that might make us better. So it became this sort of absorbent book of information that we could sort of digest and then regurgitate to the way we wanted to move the club forward, like yeah. you mean. But long ball, as you get back to that, was born about managers being so upset about us beating them 
at the top length. So in other words, you would never hear Sir Alex Ferguson talk about that when we beat him. He'd accept his defeat gracefully. But when you talk about Arsene Wenger and, and uh, even Graham Souness, who was at Newcastle at the time, uh, starting to suggest they wouldn't, you wouldn't like to watch that. You know what I mean? Because they were embarrassed uh, that we beat them. And um, there was no doubt about it. There was no doubt about this. It, it, the Arsenal's of the world at that time was the right way to play against them. Mm. Because you could beat them that way. Yeah. But that didn't mean that we were played like that all the time. Yeah. But once that label's stuck, once that, that label sticks, that's it. You're finished with that. You cannot shift it even today. Mm. A press conference at Everton, Crystal Palace, England, what style of football are you going to play is always asked in the first 30 seconds of the interview. Because of this, he's got this sort of direct football label. So. But the thing is, Sam, you um, you brought huge success to Bolton Wanderers Football Club. How do you measure success? Because for, for Bolton, you know, premiership survival was was an outstanding result. Getting there in the first place was was amazing. How yeah. do you measure success? Do you measure well, it by we, trophies? Do you measure it by well, it, survival? Well, it, it depends it what club you're at. I mean, you simply can't measure it by trophies because your your club particularly can't. Can it win a trophy? Can It, it can do a one-off. We, we got to a League Cup semi-final, mm. which unfortunately might, Mike Riley um, stopped us, giving us a chance of actually winning it by by his, his poor officiating that day by allowing a goal from a double kick uh, from Middlesbrough and allowing and, and, and not giving us a penalty in the last week. We still might not have won it anyway. That's me bleating on about referees again. Um, I think that uh, we we were we were well finishing in Europe. It's very, very privileged for me because Bone Wonders never finished in European competition before. So how are we going to get to Europe? So our forward thinking in terms of what we wanted to do was, was that I got a 10-year contract at Bolton, um, which I was very happy to sign. And I was very happy to commit myself for 10 years to give me, for the first time in my management career, the opportunity to grow and build a football club. And that was about long-term, not just short-term policy, which is what, unfortunately, most of the Premier League is all about now. Yeah, is short-termism. And so I had a, I had a, had a, a now, next season, three years, five years, and everybody's saying, "Well, that's stupid in football, doing that," but n- not with a ten-year contract. So we ripped the club apart and reinvented it and rebuilt it internally in all aspects of the football club. So we used to we used to persist that the chairman employ more people in the ticket office to answer the goddamn phone. Because fans were complaining about the fact they wanted a ticket and couldn't get through and couldn't buy a ticket. We, they were complaining about the time it took to get a pie. So I wanted someone doing about it. I mean, it, this might sound silly to this interview now, but that gives a negative response to your fan. Your fan comes along. He said, oh, he comes to his mate. Oh, 
Can you believe the ticket office? It took me it took me an hour and a half to get through to get a ticket. I got the game. I I, I had to leave five minutes before the, for the end of the first half. I missed a goal because I had to get a pie. When I got back, it, it, they couldn't understand the owners, the directors couldn't understand the negativity that was that was helping the fan to criticise us to criticise the players. So once a player mentions, oh, it's, it's not, I can't, I can't get a ticket, I can't get a pie, they're playing rubbish. Mm. So I was, in, we were into all this, we we are here, we want you to come with us, we want you to drive, we want you to get the internet site up, we want to get, we want to get the ticket office site up, we want to come up, to, you know what I mean? We 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 had second-hand computers in, in 1999 given by one of our directors from Travel Council. Why do you need a computer, they said. And we went, what? So, you know, we brought the technology. We, we brought all the all the, all the pros on in, all the data in, all the research that we brought in. It wasn't me. It was all my staff that I employed. I wasn't clever enough to do that. They were. Mm. But I given the, I, we looked at it and gave them the okay. So we had to drag the club up. And when we dragged the club up, we started delivering the whole package. Fantastic stadium. Boxes, seats that were bigger and better than everybody else's in the Premier League. You know what I mean? So hotel where you could stay and, you know, the bedroom would turn into a box. You know what I mean? So you got function room. So we'd got it. We could deliver on the field. And if we got the infrastructure right, we'll we'll deliver the whole package and we'll keep Bolton Wanderers for successful as long as possibly we can. Yeah. And that's what it, because it was the club. I love that club. Mm. You know, I was born in the Midlands. I'm a Wolves fan initially, but I love Bolt Wanderers, mm. you know what I mean? Because it gave me everything, you know, and I wanted to give everything back to them and and, and that's why that 10-year contract and building that club was the most important thing and, and, and obviously the most enjoyable and successful time outside of playing I experienced. We're going to break there as we've decided we didn't want to cut Sam short and this feels like a natural point in time at which to have a break. So that's all about Sam, the player and the club manager, before now we head into the England period, which, as you can imagine, is an opportunity to hear a pretty frank account of Sam's side of the story. Make sure you look out for part two coming soon.